Hey guys, welcome to the Next Level Agents Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Kaufman, and along with my business partner and co-host, Fred Weaver, we bring to you our podcast all about getting to the next level. Sometimes we talk to real estate agents, sometimes brokers, sometimes people just in and around our space, and sometimes just entrepreneurs in general. But our point here is to talk to the brightest and the best and to pull gold nuggets out of them and bring them to you so that way you can take little actionable pieces of advice, sometimes big actionable pieces of advice and make your business even better and help you get to the next level. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, go over to ratethispodcast.com, ratethispodcast.com forward slash NLA, stands for Next Level Agents, and please leave us a five-star review if you have not already. All right, without further ado, welcome to today's episode. Dude, I've been thinking about like all day, the last like two days, ever since, I don't know, we probably booked this a week ago with Kevin. I've been thinking about like the intro, what do I want to say? And, uh, you know, I, I I was like, man, what, how could I represent what this dude means to me and what he's done in my business? And, and truth be told, man, Kevin is a driving factor in why I've created the organizations that I've created and the ways that I've been able to create them. Uh, all started for me uh, going, going to meet with him to potentially go onto his team. Uh, wasn't a fit, but he started to make introductions. He started to just just connect me with people in the industry, and that's when I got connected to guys like Steve Valentine, uh, Templeton Walker. Uh, just some, uh, I went to Next Level Agent Live event in Las Vegas at that time. Uh, I met met a bunch of people there, and he's been instrumental in connecting me with people in the industry that uh, have given me the ideas on the way to build the business that I have, being multidimensional, playing the investment space, playing the retail space, uh, multiple conversations around how to grow, how to recruit, how to build a team. Uh, this dude has done a ton for me. And with that, man, I say thank you. Kevin Kaufman, you are amazing. I appreciate your friendship, and I love uh, what we've been able to do together, man. Thanks for coming. Appreciate, appreciate you, brother. Uh, I, I mean, that means a lot to me. It really does. Yeah. Uh, give a snapshot, man. Like kind of just give I know for the people that don't know who you are, uh, give a snapshot of like how long you've been in the business. What, 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 what did you grow up from? Uh, what have you, what do you mainly focus on now? And then kind of what, what you've built. Yeah. So man, uh, that's a lot to cover. Uh, I'm old, bro. So <laughs> only like, like 65 know. years. Cause you're old as fuck. Right. I, uh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the time limit is on this zoom, uh, but man, that's a lot to cover in whatever the lot of time is, but no, dude, so I got licensed in 07. Um, I, you know, May, end of May to be specific 07. And for those of you that were in the Phoenix area or maybe in the real estate industry at that time, you know, that it wasn't pretty at that point. I mean, I, I literally had friends try to stop trying to talk me out of getting my license, um, because the market was just, you know, it wasn't a free fall, dude. Um, so I got, I got licensed in, in May of 07, um, about, I don't know, a couple months later. I, so I'd done a couple transactions, sold a few houses, uh, to some, you know, my best friend was my first client. And then, uh, a referral from somebody else was, was my next client. And then my third deal, dude, this guy, Fred Weaver, this, uh, this dude that is, uh, I can't get rid of him, right? He calls me one day and he says, Hey, I need you to meet me at this coffee shop. Seattle's best, by the way, uh, coffee shop in Mesa at that at this bookstore. And I was like, um, okay. And I should have known something's up because that dude doesn't drink coffee, but he wanted to meet me at a coffee shop. So I was like, what? So I did. I met him and he tells me, he says, hey, dude, I'm I'm getting married, as you know, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be out of the country. And my Blackberry doesn't work outside of the United States. Like, just to put a date on it. Like, again, it's 07. 
we're using blackberries and they didn't work outside of the u.s at that time and so he's like i got these listings or i'm taking these listings and these people's their house is worth less than what they owe the bank but they can't afford them anymore and uh and we got to figure out if we can sell them and i was like oh yeah i'll help i got a license i got this and then i was and then he drops on he's like but I actually don't know if we can get paid for doing this or not because the all my clients are broke. Like they have no money. They can't even pay their mortgage. And so I don't know if the mortgage company is going to pay us or what. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. So dude, my third transaction ever was actually Fred's listing. We weren't business partners yet. Uh, it was a short sale and he was out of the country. I negotiated with a buyer and then I, I went to work, man. I called the bank and I was like, told them what was going on. And I kind of had an idea of what a short sale might be. And I had a really good idea of who I was talking to because prior to real estate, I had worked in call centers when I first moved to Phoenix uh, in 98, got a job as a collector, which was really more like, it was honestly more like customer service and sales than it was collections. So, but then I I parlayed that into a career in the call center world doing other jobs. And um, so I had an idea of like who I was talking to. And I started working on a, on my third deal ever. It was a short sale. I got it approved. Honestly, looking back, it was one of the very easiest short sales I'd ever done. Um, but my next, I don't know, next thousand transactions or so were short sales. Fred and I built a business. You know, a few months later, we decided we should actually formally work together. Um, although we weren't necessarily trying to have a partnership, we were trying to help each other out. And uh, we just decided, let, let's work together. You know, let's see what that looks like. And so we did. Um, and we built a team and really looked like a very traditional for a long time MREA team. If you've ever read that book, we were very traditional. There's a listing department, there's a buyer's department, there's an administrative department. And we, we built our business just that our listings were mostly short sales for the, like I said, for the first thousand or so were short sales. Um, and then, um, you know, that we could either, do you want to dive deeper into that, Matt, or do you just want me to kind of go further on the kind of catch up to where we're at today? Yeah, I just kind of catch up where we're at today. All right. So a lot of stuff changed. I won't tell you all the dumb shit I've done, but I've done a lot of dumb shit, including being a regional director for Keller Williams Realty. Uh, I owned a Keller Williams franchise uh, for a couple of years. That, that wasn't necessarily dumb. That was extremely profitable and rewarding. However, I realized that wasn't the model because at the time, Fred and I we're really focusing on our expanding our sales team outside of Phoenix. So while we are based in, in Tempe, actually, uh, we've sold real estate in Denver since 2014. Uh, and we still sell real estate there as well as San Luis Obispo, California. We've been in since 2016 uh, and uh, and in Nashville, even a little bit more part time uh, since 2015. And so we built a big sort of national expansion team um, and it listen, our model has changed many times over the years. Like we have never been afraid to go, what do we, what could we do? That's like completely different than what we're doing. Like, how could we, what, like, where's our holes? What, what are our mistakes? And we've, we've wildly changed our, our model on our business numerous times over that, over the 15 years or so that Fred and I have worked together. Um, and it's every single time, like the change was easier and helped us get better. And more importantly, it's we built a business for us that we want. So we've got a team based here. You know, we'll still do a few hundred transactions a year. Nothing, nothing crazy, but it's a it's the business I want. Like I don't, I spend about an hour and a half, two hours a week in that business. Fred does the same. 
Uh, and then we've got our hands in our, our EXP rev share business. We like to uh, we like to buy some investments when we can. Um, we've got a few other things. I run a podcast that I actually really I just do for my own, like to scratch my own itch, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, like, so I try to keep my hands busy that way. And I've got young kids that I try to spend as much time with as I possibly can. What is the, so you, you've said you've changed your model multiple, multiple times, whether it went from, you know, so ever since you were a single agent and then you partnered with Fred, you guys are kind of doing your own thing together. You guys start group 4610 or you start your team and you've changed your model. What is the, what is the mindset? What does it take to make a change? I think a lot of people in this market currently are probably going through new identities, new changes. What should I be doing? What should I be working on? Uh, so what, what, what kind of framework do you use as you're making decisions around what you should be doing uh, or you feel like you need to change? What, what kind of mindset or framework do you use to make those decisions? You're, you're muted. I think Sorry. I don't know. I'm muted. Okay. So you don't have to hear me thinking. Um, I always start with like, what do I want out of this? First of all, like, I don't think enough of it, like, it's really easy for me to look at Matt and go, dude, Matt flips homes and he understands the investment game. And I'm just going to go copy him. But the reality is, bro, like you and I, while we're good friends and I love you uh, and we have a lot of similarities, we also have different, we also have different wants in our business, right? And if I just do what you do, I'd probably be successful and I could probably emulate some of your success. But the problem is I actually don't want that. I don't want the business to say that you have or that this other guy over here has. And I think so many of us, and it, it's such a, one of the great things about our industry is it's easy to copycat. And, and find success if you're willing to put in the work. But it's also kind of a curse because I, I, I catch a lot of my friends copycatting people and having success that then creates a trap and, and it's not what they want. And so I always start with like, what do I actually want out of this, right? So that's first and foremost, because in my hierarchy of what I need for my business, time is number one, money is number two. And I'm very clear on that. I want more money, don't get me wrong. I want to make as much money as humanly possible. It's just my second priority after my, it's just time is first, right? And so I think being really clear on number one, what I want, and then who I am and what are my natural skill sets that I actually bring to the table? Because listen, I'm not like a work on your weaknesses guy. I'm a lean into your strengths type of guy and hire for your weaknesses and try to be, not be an asshole about it. That's really how I kind of lean. And so I'm always going to go, well, what do I want? W what can I actually even bring to the table? Right. And then it's like, I, honestly, I try to assume that what I'm doing is currently wrong. I just like everything that I think that I'm right about. I try to prove, I try to go, what's the opposite argument of that? Like you and I were talking to a friend yesterday and I, I kind of shared a story about that. That wasn't bullshit. That's true. I challenge my beliefs often whether it's in my business, in something I'm doing in my personal life, something in a relationship, doesn't matter. I often will go, what if I'm completely wrong? What if I only think I'm right about this? Or what if this is only what I'm doing is bringing me good results, but it's preventing me from having the results I actually want? And so I start off with a series of questions like that. And then I look for the opportunities because the reality is when you ask those types of questions, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. For the longest time, Fred and I built our team. Uh, and when I say built our team, I'm talking about at one point, 100 agents on our sales team around the country in those expansion locations. We Dang. built it on 
splits of 25% to the agent, 75% to the team for listings, and 45% to the agent, 55% to the team on buyers. And I knew a lot of people that were crushing it with almost inverted splits, paying way more. And a question we asked ourselves for probably once a quarter for about three or four years was, what would it be like if we charge, what if we found a way to pay the agent more? How would we still be profitable? And ultimately, we ended up changing our model uh, a couple of years later where, where we did that. But here's the deal. We'd sort of evaluate that question, look at it from, you know, look at the data of our actual business, talk to people outside of our business, and then make a decision. And, and for like, you know, four years in a row, we went, nah, that's not a change we should make right now. And then one day we're like, dude, that might be a change we could look into making. I bet we might actually end up making more money that way. And it might end up freeing up a few of these other resources that are sort of like second order consequences from a decision that we don't always think about. And so I, I try to I try to evaluate things with a series of questions to get myself to think about it uh, and challenge my current belief system and thought process. So if someone wanted to challenge their current reality, what are some questions that you typically ask yourself or what are some questions they should be asking? I start with, why do I think this? That's my yeah. very first question is why do I think the way that I do? Yeah. And dude, that, that goes down to, so I'm right. I feel like I'm right about something. You and I could argue about, let's say you and I got in a debate about whatever topic, uh, investing or compensation or something. I'd be like, why do I think, what, what's my opinion and why do I think that? And then the second question is, is that actually my opinion or am I repeating something I've heard? And you if know, I'm it's repeating- so funny you say that, man, because there's so many fucking times that me and you have been in conversations and you fucking do this shit to me all the time. Well, like you, you probably play devil's advocate better than anybody that I've ever met. And I think it's your challenging this of willing to get to the truth of what someone wants. Right. And I think, and I know that we're on this topic of what we want, but it's so important because I've struggled with what do I want my entire fucking life. I don't know about anybody else on the call, but it's typically going, what do I want? What do I want to build? Why do I want that? Why do I want to build it? Is it because I saw it on social media? Is it because I saw someone else killing it? Is it because I saw Greg and Dom do 11? So now I feel like I should do 15, right? Is, is, it, is it through competition? It's like we're always trying uh, to either redefine or really find out what our desires are. So it, it's it's impressive to me that you've been able to pinpoint it, right? It, you know, time. And money is second, right? For me, I would definitely say it's probably the other way. Like for me, I want to generate enough money right now. And I don't, and maybe I don't know why. It's just how I'm fucking wired. I don't know if it's wrong or right or what, uh, but but it's interesting perspective. You see me do that with you and other people because I'm I'm processing in real time too. So like that, like the thing is I'm like going through my thoughts, and sometimes I just say, like, not sometimes, mostly I just say stuff before I even like before I even think about it, um, which can get me in trouble from time to time. Uh, cause I, cause I'll just say sort of whatever's on the surface. Um, and so I'm processing through it. So, uh, and then, yeah, dude, sometimes like I'm challenging you and you with like you, it's cause I actually like you and I fucking care about you. And so I want to, I want to challenge your thought process, but oftentimes I'm, while I'm doing that, I'm also challenging my own thought process and kind of checking in with myself on my belief of why do I think why do I think the opposite if I do? And then, and you know me well enough to know that sometimes 
sometimes I don't disagree with you. I'm just challenging you to challenge you because yeah, I want, yeah. I want, I want to think about it. Right. Or I want yeah. you to think about it because, um, because what's the fucking point of always agreeing? That's stupid. And, and you've done a phenomenal job in life of, of, of building, dude, you're a builder, right? You've built next level agent, the Facebook group, you, you've done the next level agent events, which you guys aren't signed up. You should definitely be fucking signed up for that. I've told everybody on my team, they should go. It is by far the best real estate event you'll ever go to. Um, and I, and I truly mean that. And I co-sign on it for sure. Appreciate um, that, brother. You, you built the real estate team. You have an investment portfolio of buying holds. I know you definitely, you, you're not a huge fan of the fix and flip, uh, stuff, but you, you do love the buy and hold stuff. So you have the portfolio there. You've built the, the rev share piece out to a number that, that, you know, floors people 90% of the time, uh, unless you're Curtis Johnson and then, then he thinks you're weak. Uh, but like, it's, it's, you, you know, a, as you're building, as you start building and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm teeing this up right here to give you a good question. Cause I feel like we all want to build something we truly want. Right. So first we have that mindset of what is it that we really want? which you've been able to answer, right? So if we start with the mindset of what we really want, and then we go, okay, now I know what I want. How do I build it? Like, what does the starting steps of building anything, right? Now, and, I, and I'm kind of blanketing because you've built so much, but it could be the starting steps to building a real estate team. It could be the starting steps to build, building, uh, being a better agent or a better, you know, what, what, are the, what are the starting steps of someone that wants to start building or creating something in their life? Well, listen, okay, there's there's a balance here. So I want to be really careful the way I say this. But going back to something I said in a previous answer was, I, like, if I've decided, like, let's just assume I've got the, I know what I want. Uh, uh -huh. I know what I, what I think that I'm going after. Well, my natural tendency is to go find someone that's already has it and learn from them. So okay. that could be like a coaching relationship, a mentor relationship, or I just might, I might just pepper them with questions, bro. Like when I say I do the podcast for me, I do the podcast for me because I want to learn what people are thinking. People, especially if they're doing something different than the norm and they stand out from everybody else, I want to know the thought process in their head and how they built what they built. So if I'm clear on what I want, but I'm not clear on how to get it, my my inclination is to is to go ask questions, to force somebody to be my friend at least long enough for me to learn from them, right? And or dude, I'd pay for someone to go to lunch with me or, or to coffee or to let me interview them, whatever. I'm definitely, I've done that plenty of times. Um, I, I paid 500 bucks to, I sponsored a guy's event on, on one condition that one of his speakers went to lunch with me and mm. that's it. So the way I looked at it is I paid 500 bucks for lunch with this guy that knew a lot more about wealth building than I did at the time. Um, and so that's what I got. Like, so I'm not above that, like whatever it takes to, to make that happen, I do it. Um, and so I'm going to do that. And at the same time, the reason I kind of give a little caution is because you, you can't be like all ask questions, get ready, get ready, get ready to get ready. Like you got to take some action. Like one of our speakers and very uh, at NLA live, and he's a very close friend of mine, Michael Burnoff. It's always says like, dude, the last thing you want to do is when you first hire someone, you don't want to train them. You just want to put them on the phone. The reason why is like, take action first. You could come up with the plan second. I can yeah. teach you the scripts later and we can work on the plan later. I can't teach you to, to take action. You have to actually want to take action. And so therefore, um, you kind of have to have a bias towards action 
and at the same time, be open-minded and like, why wouldn't you just go learn from people doing it better than you? Like if I wanted to learn how to start a development business right now, I would just pick up the phone and call Dustin Runyon yeah. because he's crushed it. And in a very short period of time, he's gone from zero to a very great, like a super great organization, right? On the, on the development and building side, I would just call him and I'll go, Justin, tell me, what do I need to do? Or what do I need to learn? Who do I need to go talk? And boom, I would just, I would just go through it like that. So it's in, and I would start taking action based on what I already knew. And I'm willing to make mistakes. I'm willing to look stupid. I'm willing to be wrong. Uh, all of that stuff is okay with me. I, I think mistake, I think we all get free. It's not that we're perfectionists. Nobody is actually perfectionist. We're afraid of looking bad and we're afraid of looking wrong. And it's not even being wrong. It's that our ego is fragile to what we perceive, how people, other people will perceive us. If we're, if we're wrong or we fail or we fall flat on our face. And so that's why I don't know if that answers that question. Yeah, no, it's good. I think, I think you're spot on, man. I, I, I truly believe activity breeds results, right? And, and if you're not willing to get in an activity, you can't get a result in anything, regardless if you, you know, you can get the skill set over time, but we, you know, we used to talk about it all the time is uh, we talk about like, Hey, we're, we're going to learn by doing like, there is no, there is no way to onboard an agent onto a team, make them super successful right away. You got to go learn, fuck it up. And we're going to learn by doing plug it. Sure. Plug in all the stuff that we offer, but there's no way I can prepare you for what you're going to feel when you first get rejected on the, on the phone. If you're not willing to make those phone calls, then there, there's really no point in even starting the process, right? If you're not willing 100%. to go get an activity, then there's no point because you're going to learn it as we go anyways. And there's not, I can't, I can't teach you all the information up front before you're willing to take action you got to be willing to take action and just figure it the fuck out as we go and i'm here to help coach and train that does that make sense yes 100 yeah. dude action being action biased is like the most important factor there yeah what uh what's got you kind of excited right now i know uh you know what is it your team is it the 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 exp stuff i i mean i mean i know that you're in you know the rev share stuff deep but like is it what what has you focused, excited, pumped up in your business right now? Is it like we've had multiple conversations around doing a bunch of seller carry? Well, I've been talking to Fred more than you, but I know you guys are super interested in seller carry uh, buying holes right now. We're talking about putting deals together there. Uh, what's got you super pumped right now? Yeah, dude, it's combination. The, the two things that, that have me most pumped is and uh, they kind of derive both from the same thing that the market is challenging for most people right now. And uh, it, that creates a market like this creates chaos and chaos creates opportunity. And so I love that right now. Like, again, I, I cut my teeth in 2007 where my third transaction was a short sale. Like I saw people getting out of the business left and right my first year or two in the industry. Uh, and so I love I love a chaotic uh, market like this where people are kind of scared in a lot of ways. Number one, because one of the things I'm so passionate about is my my community of agents, right? So the EXP thing. I don't look at recruiting as like a dirty word. I think of recruiting as, um, well, dude, and I say this not not boastfully, but like the way you, some of the things you said about me when you introduced me, I love having that impact on other people. I love being able to share what I've learned over the years or my connections with people that are way smarter than me, with people that I care about to help them get to whatever their next level is. So I love that because it's hard right now. And I promise you, there's a lot of people that we all know, they're not surviving this market. Heck, some of them aren't surviving this calendar year, much less next year. And so 
I'm excited about that because that brings a lot of opportunity and I, and, my, and our people are, are continuing to crush it. Uh, and right now, crushing it looks different than what crushing it looked like two years ago, three years ago, even a year ago. Like it's a different level. And there's a certain level of like business maturity you got to get to to realize that like sometimes like right now, not going backwards or only going backwards a little bit is actually leapfrogging forward. It's a win, bro. Hell it's yeah. A win more, more than you know, because yeah. most people, most people are going backwards, but not like a little bit, a lot. So, yeah. you know, I look at like, so I, in my one of our businesses on the on the on the rev share side yeah we haven't grown as much this year as we've wanted to but we've grown and our income has grown now most agents i know their business and most brokerage owners i know their business has gone backwards in dollars over the last 12 months mine's gone forward right yeah. so i again that's not a bragging thing that's just the thing i'm excited about because i like that model and i think that i'm best suited for it to give the most valuable most value possible. The other thing that I'm really excited about you reference is the opportunities in the investment space. It's not that I don't believe in fix and flip, it's that I'm stupid and I don't know how to do it. I'm aware that like what you like dude bro you helped us out big time. You went above and beyond to help Fred and I on our on a deal a couple months ago. It wasn't even fix and flip, it's a hold for us. But the way you managed everything like that's the type of stuff that makes that would would slow me down and kind of bring me to a cripple, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas like that's your strength. Like that was just in your zone. It was probably like no big deal. It's part of your day. And so um, it's not that I don't believe in flips. It's that I know that I'm not, I'm not, I don't have the skill set yet, but I love buy and holds. And I love this opportunity to create different solutions through seller finance, like on that deal that I was referencing and like, we just closed on another subject to deal uh, a couple of weeks ago where we locked in a mortgage at 2.65 for the next 30 years. Yeah. So I want to, I want to, I want to come back to something you said, cause I really want to, and I think this is so crucial um, is, is that you realize that flipping properties, could you figure it out a hundred percent? Your systems aren't there. You're, you're, you're not built there, right? You don't have that built out. Right. You know, it would be like, it, it, it's so, and this is where you have to pick what you want to be good at. You can't go do fucking everything. Like there's just not enough time. Could you try to figure it out? But it's a pain in the ass, right? And I think if people just focus, especially agents, right? And this, and I learned this fucking real time by losing thousands of thousands and thousands upon dollars trying to build a CRM, run a nail salon, flip houses, fucking have a real estate team. We had like fucking 10 fucking businesses within the last couple of years. And it was shit. None of them fucking cranking. None of them doing what I needed it to do. None of, and I'm like, man, if we just focused on what we were good at, if we just focused on what we were good at, and that is retail real estate and investment real estate. If I just focused on that, We'd make more than enough money. I wouldn't need anything else. I wouldn't need a CRM that I wanted to try to sell or a nail salon that's barely breaking fucking even. I wouldn't need any of that in my world. So sometimes like simple is so important. And then and, and it's funny because I was coaching with Dustin Runyon, right? And we I can't, he said something, and I swear to God, this will end up tattooed or it'll end up something. And it was fuck chaos, love discipline. And I think it's the simplest things that we can do. It's like, how simple can I make it? And then how many times can I go fucking do it regardless if I'm tired of it? Cause that's when I'm going to find success. 
You know, and it's like, it's, I'll even bring up Greg and Mercer, man. It's them pigeonholing. Like they got, like, I almost say they, they didn't get out of wholesaling, but they pivoted hard in innovations in Ohio and they're fucking crushing it, right? They're fucking crushing it because of the hard pivot. And now I do one thing well, and let's go bank, make a bunch of fucking money. And I think that's where people struggle so much is that we want to do everything. We think everything's an opportunity. And truth be told is it's really just a shiny fucking object taking you off of the one or two things you should be doing well. Yeah, dude, when, when you say that, I think of two things. Like well, I said the word chaos earlier. I mean, chaos in the market creates opportunities. Yes. Dustin, Dustin's referring to like chaos in your life. In your world. That, yep. that, is, that is a superpower. If you can walk through chaos and not not experience the chaos yourself while everybody else around you is chaotic yeah you you can print money game changer yeah. all right so give us an idea i we always we always we love investment that's why we talk about it give us an idea of some of the deals you've structured recently uh with maybe the sub twos or the seller carries or or maybe the, the last couple of deals or well you know what give us what's your portfolio right now it's not like huge but it's a good amount of real estate right yeah, no, we own uh, like in total, and I've got a I've got a partner on this, like Fred, uh, who I mentioned earlier. So we own seven single family rentals together, as well as uh, an office. This office building I'm sitting in, and then we've got a lot of other like non real estate investments together as well. But um, so it's not. But huge. you guys bought those convention. You guys bought those conventionally. Like none of those are first seller five. finance or something. First what? five, the first five, I guess six. Uh, the so the first five uh, properties that we bought, like single family rentals, we bought conventionally, basically 20% down. Uh, yeah. We put money into the rehab to get it rent ready. Listen, we just use, again, going with our skill, what, what do we have? We didn't have time, but we had the money to make sure it cash flowed and it was a good deal. Uh, and I always look at, when I look at, uh, one, Ben Kenny is one of my mentors and, and good friends. And he always taught me to look at real estate investments through three lenses, uh, cash flow, future appreciation and taxes. And so all of those deals were great deals for taxes. Mm. And then some of them were good for cash flow. All of them have actually, I wouldn't say great for cash flow. They've all been good on cash flow. And then I think they'll all just be okay or decent on appreciation. But at the end of the day, if they appreciated 3% over the next 20 years, uh, I win. Uh, yeah. Life's over, game over, I win. And so I, I, I always look at it through those three lenses. Um, so we bought the building, bought a couple, got a like our first five, maybe our first six houses that we bought were uh, actually going to be listings. They just came into our business as listing referrals. Um, and the sixth one just so happened, it was a repeat client, uh, just so happened he owned it free and clear. He had a, it was a situation where it was an inherited property. He didn't really need all of the money. Uh, and so we were first shopping it for him and couldn't hit his number. And so um, I overheard that conversation amongst our agents. And I just, I, so I looked at Fred and I said, Hey, why, why don't you ask him if he needs the money today? Like, could, would he do seller finance? Cause if so, I think that number that he's looking for makes all the sense in the world to us. So that's where it came from. We just literally went to him and said, Hey, uh, none of these investors want to come close to your, to your dollar amount. I'm willing to, but it's got to look like a seller finance. Are you open to that? He said, yes. And we negotiated a deal. So that looked like 20% um, down uh, five-year term at 5.3% interest. And at, 
the time I was getting ready, we were getting ready to go buy another rental anyways. And our PQF was 7.5, which oddly enough looks good today. Um, yeah. And so he, so for us, it was a win. We were going to save over 2% interest. And then he was like, let's just do interest only payments. I don't want to try to calculate the, you know, the, the amount of equity you'd build up uh, the principal pay down. So let, let's just do interest only. So that increased our cash flow on it. Uh, and boom, that's it. So we, we closed on that one, the end of May this year, um, and then got it rented in, after the renovation, I think in July. And it's actually probably our best cash flowing property that we, that we have of our, of our seven. Do you mind sharing a uh, purchase? What'd you purchase price? What, what was purchase price? 325 was the purchase price. What's ARV? Uh, conservatively, I, I think 415, 425. Okay. So you're you're in uh you're in and so you bought it at 325, 20% down on 325, right? Yep. But you almost have already 80 grand in equity, mm -hmm. right? And then and then you did interest only at a five, five point five percent interest rate? 5.3. 5.3. So what is your payment on that? Dude, you're gonna make me go. Remember? I'm sure I could I could probably figure it I out. I could you find had, it. You had a five, you had a five point three. So you did twenty percent down on three twenty five. You got so we got three three twenty five. Let me look times, it up here. Here minus twenty percent. So loan amounts two sixty, right? So they put sixty five grand down. And yep. if he's at, at five point three point zero five three, it's thirteen thousand dollars a year in interest payments. We're going to divide that by twelve. And it should be eleven hundred and forty-eight dollars and thirty-three cents. It should be right around there. Uh, what are you renting that for right now, Kevin? I'm literally looking it up. I believe oh. it is nine. No, we we set it for nineteen hundred, but I think we got twenty-two. Give me a second. I'm okay. literally pulling up the email right now from our property manager. Um. So you guys see how we how how you can put that deal together? Now I would never put 20% down, but Kevin had some disposable in Kevin and Fred had some disposable income and they said let's go do it, right? Uh the cool thing about seller carry is he could have negotiated that deal anyway. He could have done 5%, 10%, he could have done 5 grand, 10 grand, right? My rent on Valley Vista is uh that's the that's the street name is 2195. Yeah, so there are $1000 a month positive cash flow on a seller carry deal with a 5-year balloon. And they're at if if ARV, I mean if ARV is 415 uh minus 325, they got 90 grand in equity. So in a five in five years, they could they could liquidate that property. And not only did they get so they got a thousand dollars a month, right? Uh over five years. So what's that? That's twelve thousand a year. That's sixty thousand in total total revenue right now they got some expenses in there right but we got 60,000 top line revenue we have 90 grand in equity and then let's say we appreciate 3% you know that that deal is going to be worth 250 to 275,000 dollars as a whole to them for 65 grand out of pocket pretty good ROI on their money i mean you, you see how you can get pretty creative with the seller seller financing stuff man and it's simply because uh, he's right and they sent that. I think they sent that deal to me. I looked at it and I said I can't get anywhere close to that. And I, I said, think I your think number was two two ninety five or two ninety on that. Like that. Yep. And that's basically where everybody was. And that's yep. why I was like, well, that's the number. But then, like, it was he the seller wanted three twenty five. Like for he had that. So that's I was like, cool. Perfect. Can you just give me more time to pay you? He said yes. 
That's perfect. That's a great, that's a great deal. Uh, what's the other one you just did? You said you just did a subject too. I did another deal. Uh, this came from a buddy of mine who's, he's outsourcing deals all day, every day. Um, and a deal kind of fell apart last minute. And he said, here, let me pull it up real quick. Uh, just cause so I'm not giving you fake numbers. Okay. I'll yeah. give you the real deal. And we all know what a subject to is mortgage stays in their name. We take ownership of the house. Uh, everybody's familiar with that term. So this deal came to me. We had a, we had to close in eight days. It came to me on the fifth. We closed on the 13th. Is that eight days? I don't know if I shouldn't do public math. Anyways, 465 was the purchase price. Uh, current value, retail value is 500, uh, is 500. Loan balance was about 275. It actually was a little bit lower. Interest rate was 2.65. Seller needed 60K to walk away. And the reason why is he had another deal he was in that was already in and he there was no back. He was at the point of no return. Uh, we actually ended up giving him 70, not 60, just because it made the rest of the terms easier as we got, as we detail ironed out all these, uh, all these things. Um, started with a five-year balloon. We did do a five-year balloon on the second. So he gave us a second. So the difference of like 275 and 465. So I don't know what that total balance ended up being. Um, see, we gave him 70 K. So I think the total second, the seller carryback second was like, what is that one? Yeah. hundred ish. So you subject um, so that, to the the mortgage and then you seller finance the difference with 70 grand down. Yep. Gave him 70 grand down. He gave us five years interest only on that second. Okay. What's your um, cash flow? Uh, well, it's for rent, it's just, it just got turned. It's up for rent. Uh, we think conservatively cash flow on it's going to be 400 bucks a month after, yeah. after all of our expenses. Yeah. And that's so right where not, you want to be, right? No, nah, yeah. but you want to be, if you're at four or $500 a month after expenses, go do that 50 times, right? You got a good little business, right? The other thing I'm, I'm looking at too, Matt, uh, on both of these deals is both of the those two deals alone right there are going to reduce my tax bill for this year by about $35,000. How is that possible? Uh, what are you doing? So we're going to just do a cost segregation uh, study on it and we'll uh, we'll accelerate the depreciation all into this year or mostly all into this year. Uh, and I'll walk away with about, Fred and I both, with about $35,000 each in tax credits uh, or an actual deduction from our taxes. So it's like removing hundred grand or so off of our income. And so that's a, that's a big deal. What, uh, so give, give, uh, give an idea. So cost seg is, it's something that if you don't know about, like it's a, I feel like it's a cheat code for real estate. And if you're making money, you should absolutely fucking cost seg if you're buying properties. Right. It's, so give an idea of what, I know you kind of talked about it briefly, but give an explanation of what cost seg and how you guys are using it for tax purposes. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, here's, here, here's the high level overview because I'm not a details guy. I look yeah. at it as this is the government uh, giving me back my money to own more rental real estate. They're, they're giving me money to own an asset that somebody else pays for anyways. That's how I look at it. Right. Yeah. So um, at the end of the day, whether, whether you know it or not, you depreciate rental real estate on a schedule over a, what is it? 26 and a half years. Right. And so 
rather than dividing everything equally over 26 and a half years, the government acknowledges that a home does not all depreciate over 26 and a half years. As an example, cabinets and sinks depreciate much faster than 26 and a half years. So why would you let it depreciate over 26 and a half years? The other way I look at it is, I'm gonna get this all from the government anyways in, in depreciation, but why would I let them borrow it? for If they're willing to give it all to me right now, I would rather trust myself with the money rather than trust the IRS with my money. And so when you go get a study done and it breaks things down into the, to the actual depreciation value, it's kind of like, and these are my simple headed, you know, like, cause I'm not super smart terms of it's like an appraisal, if you will, like it's a, it's actually an engineering study that we order costs like 1500 bucks, three grand so far, depending on, on the size of the house and the, the, the intricacies and things like that. And they give us a very detailed study that says, Hey, like these cabinets are going to depreciate over this much time. And here's how much money that is worth. And so it de it breaks apart everything in that house. And so we're going to then take that study. I give it to, to the law firm that does my taxes and it shows like, here's your credit. Now, because we're all real estate professionals, we also have a, they have what they call bonus depreciation, which is what it sounds like. It's a bonus for real estate professionals, which is simply defined as, I think you work 20 hours a week or more in real estate. You don't actually even have to have a real estate license. Um, then you can declare as a real estate professionals. You don't just get that depreciation. You literally get a bonus amount. It's like, it used to be double. This year, it's only 80% more. Next year, it'll be 60% more. The year after that, it'll be 40% more. And hopefully, we'll never phase out because hopefully, we'll get a president that sees sees the reason to extend that. What do you think you've saved uh, by cost-segging over the last few years? Oh, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Guys, don't don't sleep on cost seg. If you're actually purchasing properties, investment properties, uh, in, in in anywhere in the U.S., you can cost seg them. I think last year we saved about one hundred sixty thousand bucks because we had to turn some flips into rentals. We saved one hundred sixty grand at and tax liability. Um, I ended up uh, I ended up paying zero in taxes last year. Um, and here's the beautiful part about these two, Matt, I want to add, especially for us as like real estate agents who have 1099 income, because as we all know, it can be challenging for like, okay, let's say you start to understand the tax game a little bit. I've spent a lot of time over the last 10 years doing that because uh, I just would like to keep as much of my own money as possible legally and ethically. And so, but that presents a challenge to us when we want, when we want to qualify for a traditional mortgage, right? Because the lower your income looks like on your tax return, regardless of how much money you actually make, the it's a lot harder to go out and get a loan for another property, right? And so the yeah. great thing about about using cost seg is while it takes that income out when it comes to paying the taxes, your mortgage lender will add that back into your income. So you, you can still have, you get the bust yeah. above worlds. You get a high income, for qualification purposes, you get a low income for tax paying purposes. It's the yep. best of both worlds. Yep. It's the greatest yeah, thing on the planet.
Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Again, if you don't know about it, don't sleep on it. If you guys need it, we'll we'll connect you guys with someone that does it. We have a we have a, fr- a mutual friend that uh, has taken care of all of them for us. I'm sure you're still using the same guy, right, Kevin? Um, and, yep. and he and he's a good dude, and he he does very 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 good job with it. So, um, listen, I know I know we kind of been all over the board. You know, the last 45 minutes we talked about kind of where you came from, starting the REO space, building up what you're doing. Talked about the mindset around uh, decision making. Uh, to to building, you know, to to the decisions, to building. Um, I kind of like to open it up for the last fifteen minutes and just, you know, what do you what do we have anything? You guys got over, you know, thirty years of experience in the real estate business. Just kidding. Uh, since oh seven, because he's old as shit. Uh, but been in the business since oh seven. Knows a lot. Uh, I'd like to take the last fifteen minutes. Let's just ask a bunch of questions around well, either what he's done or what he's building or what would be uh, what 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 you know. What do you guys want to know with, with someone in a room that you typically don't get time with? This is this is gonna be real awkward if nobody asks a question. Here, oh, um, you're telling me. All right, go ahead. So you mentioned like you don't really like the flip space, or you're not, you know, that that versed in it is maybe Matt, but like a lot of what I hear as far as advice is like you know use those flips to generate your income so you can basically start to build your portfolio of cash flowing properties. Um, I mean, do you, do you kind of feel that that's like a a safe thing to do as a not safe, but you know what I'm saying? Like a good strategy. Yeah. If you can actually do it here, here's what I say, uh, or here's what I see is that here's the deal flipping up. I like the way you frame that, uh, Mike, that's your name, right? Mike, I, I like the way you frame that because running a flipping business is actually just that. It's running a business. So like we'll use the term investor space or investor or investments with other agents and they'll so they can key into it. But the truth is running flips is not an investment. It's a business, right? If you're actually doing it, if you're doing it well and you're doing it right, it's actually a business. It's not an investment. No more than running a traditional real estate team that operates on a profit and loss system is a is a business. It's it's literally the same. So I I'm a big proponent of taking my active income, no matter where it comes from, and using it to create my residual income by buying assets, both in long term holds for real estate and and the stock market, a, a whole bunch of other things. I, I believe in being fairly diversified, right? And so however you create your active income is however you create your active income. Some people are amazing at flips. What I see often, uh, and this isn't necessarily the case for anybody here, I don't know, but what I see happen a lot is people tell themselves I'm an investor and they start doing flips and they might actually even do well with the flips. But the reality is it's not an investment. It's That's their active income. And then they never, here's the deal reason I wanted to share part of my investment journey is because I feel like I started too late. And so when I see other people not actually putting the money aside to go build that portfolio long-term, uh, I like, I don't want that. I want them to, to do it. And I see too many people, like they get caught up in the, it's sexy, that next deal. Cause those checks are bigger. Those checks are typically bigger and they're funner. They're more fun to see, but, but that's a trap at the same time. Uh, you know, because it's so easy to just get caught up in how fun and sexy that is, as opposed to like, give me the boring base hits all day long, because here's what I know. 
go go look at the price of real estate, residential real estate over the last 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, and just apply some logic to what might happen over the next 20 to 30 years. It's not it's not rocket science. And I like to play games where like I have a good chance of winning. And so for me, that's taking my active income and buying something that produces residual income. Yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on, bro. Like the the flip game is just a business. The wholesale is just a business. Commissions from real estate transactions, it's all just a business. It's how we create active income. Uh the passive income is the true investing, right? It's 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 putting it into real estate, whether it be multifamily, you know, residential, you know, single family, uh, you know, or Airbnbs or however you want to generate the passive income. Uh it, it's putting that income into that. What, what I think's become a game changer and what everybody's seeing now is the ability to actually start creating passive income and you not necessarily need a bunch of active income through the subject to stuff. And we've been doing this shit forever, but it's just been a hot, hot topic, right? And over the last couple of years with Pace doing it and the seller carry stuff and all that stuff has given people an opportunity that could structure a deal uh, for passive income. Now I'm going to say a statement. And I want you to know if it's true or not. I don't know, like if I didn't have a decent active income, in my experience with uh, creating passive income and holding rentals, uh, sometimes you need to make sure your your active income is solid uh, before you go buy a bunch of passive income. Because if something comes up, something happens, you, you tend to need money to continue to have the income be passive. Have you experienced the same thing? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like stuff comes up, right? So just like in any business, I think having reserves is smart and that's probably like three to four months of reserves. So, and here's the deal. Uh, the other lesson, you know, I've had to learn and along the same line. So is as your portfolio grows, like your reserves have to grow too, right? So the, the reserves I need uh, in both in my personal life and in our businesses say like, as we've gone from one rental to seven rentals and a and a commercial property, like the the reserves have had to grow exponentially. Because what if they all have a vacancy at the same month, right? So yes, you, number one, having a high active income to me is important. Like that's that's priority number one. Uh, I'm assuming that we're good with that, and it, part of my high active income is that I set money aside every month to go towards something that's going to become passive over time. I don't care if it's 5%, 10% or 20%, or if you can be one of those super crazy maniacal people that could do 50% and, li and live off of that. And like, But something should be set aside. Even if it's not enough to buy an asset this month, I think it should be set aside until you have enough set aside because you're building the muscle of setting the money aside to then go buy the assets. Like the, the reality is, is like, you know, it was one at a time for a long time. And then uh, Fred and I closed on three investment deals this month, one in real estate, two completely outside of real estate that we just wouldn't have had. The Number one, we wouldn't have had the access to if we hadn't continued to grow our network and meet new people. But also number two, we wouldn't have had the capital for if we didn't already, if we weren't in that, uh, in the exercise of just putting a percentage aside every month even if I don't know where it's going. Yeah. Because here's the deal. If I leave it in the business, I'm going to cheat with it. Cheating yep. mean I'm going to pay business expenses or I'm yep. going to market more than I should. I'm going to do something stupid. Whereas if I put it over here, 
now it's just ready to go. And I've got the ability to execute on a couple killer investments that I wouldn't have been able to, to, to execute on in the past. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. What are you trying to keep in reserve? You said four months, three months. I'm com- Listen, dude, I have a high risk tolerance. I'm com- I'm actually comfortable at like two, but I think three is probably smarter. Yeah. Uh, what else you guys got? What other questions we got? Cool. Focus uh, more check- on the commercial space. Are you- I'm sorry, Matt. I was just going to oh, say, it. Kevin, are you, are you still looking to hold, uh, and develop more SFRs or would you do that in the commercial space? Yeah, I'm not married to anything. Um, I would like, uh, I would really like, you know, if the right commercial deal comes along, I'd like to do that. Uh, I'm obviously, I'm sort of excited and, and, and simultaneously skeptical of the commercial world just because like, you know, the work from home thing has, has become so big. And, um, but I also know that the chaos of this market and the interest rates are going to create some opportunities in the commercial world over the next 12 to 24 months that I'm, I'm certainly looking. I've been talking to my guys that are in the you know commercial space, my friends, and letting them know like, hey, I want to see deals. If you have something that's juicy um, that you know you need a partner on or you want to do, but you can't go all the way and you want to partner on it, like I want to see those deals because I know there's, I know there's blood in the water. So the answer is yeah, I dude, I don't care. Uh, I don't care what the asset is. Obviously I understand real estate the best. Um, but if it's residential real estate or commercial real estate, I'm, I'm interested for sure. Yeah. Dave said office space to apartments. He smells it coming. Bro, I can't, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate having you, uh, dude. I love you as a friend, dude. You've been great. You've been awesome in business. Great business partner. Uh, glad that we're connected. I'll let you leave your uh, closing remarks, man. What do you want to leave them with? One thing that they can take away, they can do any big words of wisdom, drop it on them. Uh, dude, I'll just say this. Come to NLA live, please. Because anything that I shared today, I probably learned from one of the speakers uh, I, I was doing a talk earlier for my buddy's event uh, virtually. And one of the things I shared with them is like protecting your circle, uh, meaning who, the people you spend the most time with. That really is one of one of the things that I take very seriously. And quite literally, the people speaking with the one exception of Pace Morby, who by reputation and mutual friends, I, I trust extremely. Uh, and also what I've learned from him. But the the rest of those people I know all very, very, very well personally and have learned from them and they have become a big part of, uh, of anything I've been able to accomplish. And so NLA live December 5th and 6th, NLA live.com. I think my name, my first name, Kevin is uh, good for a discount code. Um, so use that, come out, spend two days with us. I promise it'll be worth it. Hell yeah, man. Love you, brother. Thanks so much. Love you, bro. Go out there and do your shit. Ladies and gentlemen, crush life, do dope shit. But please get into activity. Without activity, we can do nothing. So go get an activity. Go create the life you want and go do everything you can and fight every day uh, to live the dream that you desire, man. Go out there and get shit done, guys. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you're looking for even more valuable content and resources to help you grow your business, then we invite you to join our community, Next Level Agents at eXp Realty. By joining us, you'll gain access to exclusive benefits like live trainings, events, masterminds, weekly Zooms, digital downloads, 
and so much more, all designed to help you grow your business. To learn more and become a part of our community, simply visit kevinandfred.com forward slash contact and get in touch with us today. Of course, if you're not quite ready to take the plunge and join our community, that's no problem at all. You can still access all of our great content for free right here on this podcast. And again, we thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing to bring you valuable insights and more advice in the future.